Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, and I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, Senior Pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alumni, which means we've spent a lot of time laughing, growing, and being transformed in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. Friends, we have made it to episode seven. Woohoo! And Ruth, it kind of strikes me that we have spent a whole lot of time. Uh, <laughs> you noticed that. A whole lot of things other than the actual discernment <laughs> process. Right, right. So, could you speak to that a little bit? Yes. I think that in this whole process of moving a group to becoming a community for discernment, that it's two thirds preparation and one third practice. Wow. Because if you um, try to move to the practice without the preparation, Discernment is not going to practice, yeah. not going to happen anyway. But if you do the work of preparation, you're going to start discerning whether or not you even have a practice. So the group will become a different group through this preparation. So I look at this as like painting a room, and maybe you've had this kind of an experience before, where you've wanted to paint a room, and you th- you think, well, I don't really need to do the taping, and I don't really need to move the furniture into the middle and put a drop cloth on it. Um, I can I can do this without. The, I'll just be really really careful. And what invariably happens? that you've got the paint is all over your floorboards because you didn't tape. You drip stuff on your furniture because you didn't move it into the center and put a drop cloth under it. And so in painting, we would say that there's, most people will say that when they prepare to paint, the preparation takes longer than the painting itself. But when you do good preparation, then the paint job goes much more easily. And I think it's the same with discernment, that if you do the preparation, the process is going to go a whole lot easier. If you don't do the preparation, chances are you're going to n- not even be able to do discernment anyway. So so that's why my teaching and the, the writing on this is two-thirds preparation and one-third practice. So if you scan through the episodes, and if you started with mm-hmm. chat, with episode seven, because yes. <laughs> yes. you felt like, man, yes. I, I, I got it, the I got it. <laughs> uh, we're going we're gonna to gently, mm-hmm. gently redirect you back yep. to mm-hmm. episode one. Yep. Uh, but I'm sure no one. No has one done would that. do that. No. no. That. Um, so we have done the good work of learning individual and corporate spiritual practices. We've undergone a conversion from a leadership mm-hmm. team to a spiritual community. We've written our values and our covenant together. Uh, but before <laughs> before we and I promise we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just remind us again. You've said it a bunch, but mm-hmm. what is the heart? of spiritual leadership the heart of spiritual leadership is the ability to discern and do the will of god and to guide and hold a process of that you know for the leadership group you're a part of okay so the process starts with something pretty obvious but Mm -hmm. so so important what is it and why is it so critical well it starts with clarifying the question and this is can be very very funny i remember going to do a discernment retreat with the board of a not-for-profit and the executive director was the one who called me to ask me to come in and he said that they were at the beginning of a strategic planning process and wanted to be discerning about that so that sounds like a good opportunity so i went so the first thing i asked them to do after we had done some preparation and stuff like that was to ask what's the question that you all are asking and i kid you not I opened it up to the board. There were seven different <laughs> yeah, yeah, questions yeah. in that group that people thought was the question for discernment. 
So, so funny. Yeah. So we took two hours of their process to clarify the real question for discernment. But it's a real problem if you don't have the question clarified because then everybody's working at cross purposes. So it seems obvious, but you need to clarify the question for discernment and get it up there on a piece of newsprint or whatever so that everybody knows the question that you're discerning. The other thing I would suggest is that you frame it in such a way that it really is about the will of God. And in fact, I would turn us to 1 Corinthians 2 that talks about the mind of Christ. You know, but we have the mind of Christ, and it talks about the fact that um, that the will of God is given to those who are spiritual, you know, that discernment is given to those who are spiritual. So those who are prepared in the ways that we have been preparing now are open to the gift of discernment. And uh, we have the mind of Christ, or we're seeking the mind of Christ. So if you could even frame the question around the mind of Christ. So rather than saying, the question is, should we build a bigger building? The question is, what is the mind of Christ on how to accommodate the growth that we've been experiencing? That you frame the question as being about the mind of Christ or the will of God. What is the will of God for us relative to the growth that we have been experiencing? So you're always keeping it focused on the will of God and not just what might seem strategic. Yeah. So, uh, so clarify the question. And, uh, we found when, as we've been looking for different locations for our church plants, three and a half years old now, our question got clarified through the process. Mm -hmm. At first it was what essentially what building is going to work best for us. Mm -hmm. And then it moved to what city does God want us to inhabit? Yes, yes. And that's another thing that I would recommend that people watch for, and that is the question beneath the question. Mm -hmm. So you enter into the discernment process with one question, and lo and behold, you discover that there's another question underneath, like mm -hmm. what you just yeah. described. So so the question about should we big, build a bigger building, underneath that could be what is our vision and mission now and what kind of building would help us to live into our vision and mission. So it can actually, what seemed like one question takes mm -hmm. you to a deeper question. Um, whether or not to move from two services to seven. <laughs> <laughs> that pesky question right. keeps coming up. Um, could underneath the question could be another question about pace of life and yeah. how are we doing as a staff and what are we doing to our volunteers? Are we leading people into a way of life that works for them? Can can we continue to maintain our sacred rhythms if we move from two services to, to seven? seven? You know, that that the wise group will listen for the question that's underneath the question, mm -hmm. um, which can be really kind of fun because, you know, it's it's sort of an unexpected thing to end up with a different question than you started with. Oh, and, it's, it's, it's really fun. And when you have a team of people that's become a spiritual community, it's very energizing mm -hmm. when when you understand. Yeah. Like, you, oh, you, you, that's yeah. the question, yeah. and yeah. and well, yeah. that and oftentimes it's even a better question than yeah. what you first came in with. I also recommend that as your group is becoming a community for discernment, you actually clarify which questions would warrant a full discernment process because not every question warrants a full discernment process. So the color of the carpet, for instance, or a new computer system, you can have a subgroup, you know, do the research and make a recommendation and the board says yes. But there are other questions that I believe really do warrant discernment. So for instance, decisions that will shape your identity and mission, your policies, your values and your direction, those things need to be discerned. Um, Whenever we're going to allocate significant resources, time, money, human resources, organizational energy and focus, the allocation of these resources is going to reflect what we value. So we want to make sure that the group who has been given the responsibility for discerning actually does discern the allocation of significant resources. 
um, key personnel, you know, when you're hiring key personnel. And, and actually, I would even say that positions that you don't even consider to be key, like a part-time receptionist or the custodian, even those I think need to be discerned by at least a few people who are in touch with that scenario because your receptionist is the one that interfaces with the public. Your she she or he is the first person that that people encounter in your church or your organization. Or the custodian is the one who has keys to all the offices and might be in the building with women and children late at night. You know that you want to make sure that you've discerned character and discerned the rightness of that person for you. And certainly higher level staff members and board members. Decisions affecting the pace and quality of life for staff and constituency. And I keep coming back to this because I think a lot of times we don't want to think about that. It's strategic to add another service or two. Um, but who's calling the question about how that's going to affect our pace of life? So anything that's going to affect how we're living together and where our, where our energies are going to go, I think needs to be discerned and we need to listen to God. Because I think God cares about these things. I really do. I think God cares about our pace of life and how our life together affects whether or not we have can have our spiritual practices in place and things like that. So you might want to do some work around what questions you're going to bring to full discernment. And then if there is any if there is ever any question about that, someone can just say it. Someone can just say, is this a question that we need to discern? And then make your decision together about that. Beautiful. Uh, it reminds me that before we started Genesis, Mary and I did a discernment process about services. We keep mm -hmm. we keep joking about that, but we've all we've all both of us had been in many churches that had evening mm -hmm. services, Saturday yeah, night Saturdays, services, Sunday yeah. night services, mm -hmm. and and we said, um, to the best of our ability to mm -hmm. discern, we should never have an yeah. evening service yeah. based on how we're wired up mm -hmm. as a family based on how we're wired up as a couple, mm -hmm. we should do whatever it takes to yeah. not have an evening service, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And um, th that, like, and so if we ever get to the point where someone brings up, hey, maybe it's time mm -hmm. to have an evening service. I'll be service. calling you again. Hello, yeah. this is yeah. Ruth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. But what actually, are you thinking? <laughs> I, I will tell you a funny story mm -hmm. about that, though, because because of our location issues, you know, and it's been so hard. Yeah. Well, if we just moved to Sunday night service, oh, yes. so many things Everything open would open up. So mm -hmm. I brought that up to my, I just, I kind of whispered it to mm -hmm. our associate pastor, Steve, who's mm -hmm. my dear friend. He loves yeah. Mary. I said, I, I know like we shouldn't do this, but should we look at, at mm -hmm. Sunday evening? His first response was, didn't you and Mary promise each other mm -hmm. that you would never do? You know, yeah. so it's like, yeah. Oh, See, gosh. there's your discerning community right <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, and the Sabbath comes in. Like, I know I keep banging this drum, but if you have Saturday night and Sunday services, when are your people supposed to practice Sabbath? I don't know how you guide people into a Sabbath practice if you have services on Sunday and on Saturday and Sunday. There's no yeah. time for your staff or key volunteers yeah. to practice their Sabbath. Okay, so um, after you have clarified your question, what's the next step and how do you go about actually doing it? Well, you want to gather the community for this discernment. So you've got your board or your leadership group, and that's your, you know, that's your community for discernment generally. But depending on what your issue is, there's going to probably need to be some others involved. And there are lots of categories that you can look at for who else might be involved 
in a situation like this. So first of all, who's leading or facilitating the discernment process? I think it's really helpful to have somebody who is holding the process in place. So um, you can call that the leader, the facilitator. I, the, I prefer discernmentarian. Discernmentarian, yes. Um, in the in the Quaker tradition, it's a clerk or it's a convener. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you can use any term you want, but it is the person that's holding the process in place, and you do need that person who feels responsible for that. And can yes, I ask a quick question yeah, about mm-hmm. that. Do you find that it's helpful for that, like, not to be the mm-hmm. elder chair, not yeah. to be the senior mm-hmm. pastor, not to be the executive director? Yeah. Well, I think what is most important is that, is that that person is gifted in. That. Okay. that okay. they understand the discernment process through and through, and they know how to hold it. So in our case, I'm still the one here who's had the most practice in discernment, so I still hold the practice of discernment for our board. Um, but it's possible that there could at some point be someone else who could do that, because I will say that there are times when I would love to sit back mm-hmm. and just participate as the founder of this organization and, and as a as a you know, sort of a spiritual director, discerner mm-hmm. type person. But so far, I'm still the one that holds our discernment process in place and plans the agenda for that. Um, the, the term discernmentarian, I mean, you know, Danny Morris and Chuck Olson coined that term, and it's someone who knows discernment like a parliamentarian mm-hmm. knows parliament. And so I, I think it's lovely, actually, because discernment discernment is, is an area of expertise as well as giftedness. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a charism for it as well as having had enough experience and training in it that you can hold it well, you know, yeah. for others. Those people are hard to find. Um, but if you can, if you have someone like that in your group and, and you can cultivate that gift in them, uh, then maybe the chair could step back and just get to participate, mm-hmm. which means that they might even make a better contribution. Yeah. Um, and then um, you might want to think about a sage, anyone anyone in your setting who has been around for a long, long time, and even though they might not formally be a part of your elder board or whatever, they've been around so long that they hold the history of the place and their perspective is always valuable. Uh, you might want to think about an intercessor, someone who's holding the group um, in an intercessory prayer stance. Uh, we haven't had one of those throughout our whole history, but we do now have not just an individual, but a team of people who intercede for us. Um, and this person can be in the room, or they might not feel the need to be in the room. They mm-hmm. might just you might just share the agenda with them, and they might block out that time and be in prayer for you while you're having while you're having your meeting. And that can be that can be really powerful. Depending on what the topic is, you might want to think about people who either um, have experience around the topic or a special calling or anointing in that particular area. Um, if it's a group that you're seeking to minister to, you might want to listen to the needs of that you know, particular group. Um, if there's a person within your group that seems to have a particular interest or anointing uh, around whatever you're talking about, so if it's about the youth group, let's say if it's about something have to do, having to do with children's ministry or your youth group, you definitely want the people heading up those departments, at least in the conversation. They might not have a vote depending on your polity, but you at least want to listen to them. And I always like to point people to Acts 15 because in that story you see people like Peter who had a special anointing to minister to the Gentiles. And in Acts 15 the question was whether or not the Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order to join the community of faith. And Peter had been given a special anointing to minister to the Gentiles. He had seen the vision of the sheet coming down. He had had the connection with Cornelius. He had been around when Gentiles were praying you know, in the Spirit, and so the evidence of the Spirit was there in their lives. And so Peter had a very special place of prominence in that particular discernment issue because of his special anointing and calling to that group. And you could see it given to him. His, that, that's, that 
place of, of authority around that issue was given to him because of the calling that he had. Um, and I think James in the Acts 15 story was probably the discernmentarian. It mm. seems like he was the one who um, listened and then in the end called it at the end and said, this is what I think God is doing. And he got up and stated it. And when he stated what he thought God was doing, the Quakers would call this the sense of the meeting, getting a sense of the mm. meeting. Um, then people affirmed that, yes, what he thought he was seeing and hearing was really the moving of the Spirit, and they were able to mm. to affirm it together. So there are different roles in, in a discernment process and different uh, roles that different voices can play. So to ask the question, what, what other voices need to be heard in this discernment process for us to have listened and listened well can be a really good question. So the community for discernment about this issue might have some additional people in it. And do you think it's helpful when you're trying to figure out who- um, those different people whose voices mm-hmm. we need to hear to go back to the question, in what ways are we not seeing mm-hmm. correctly? You yeah. Know, and, and, and Anything we're missing. We yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. I'm always struck by um, people in leadership who feel like they can make decisions about a certain people group without yes. talking to oh, the certain absolutely. people group. absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> as a woman who grew up in very conservative environments, I can't tell you how many times the male elders went off by themselves without the women to decide what the women were going to get to do in the church, which I look back on that and I am appalled. I, I can't even believe it used to happen. I think it still happens in some places. Yeah. And it it just so minimizes the uh, the status of an adult disciple to leave them outside the room when you're deciding their fate. I mean, it's just... And yet that happens all it the It happens time. all the time. So one of the categories I've thought of relative to this is to have the voices of those who will be affected by this decision, that those voices need to be heard yeah. um, if they will be affected. And then the other category is the category of persons who will have to carry out the decision. Right. So for me, you know, as a senior leader, a real discipline for me is to make sure that the administrators, that those who will actually have to carry out a decision are in the room. Yeah. So, you know, again, back to having multiple services, if you want to get, or for us, it would be multiple transforming communities is what will that require of the office staff? Right. What will it require of volunteers? So in the ivory tower, maybe it sounds really good, to have to move from three services to four, but the person who has to line up the volunteers to take care of children says, now, wait a second, I don't think I have enough volunteers to cover the childcare for this. This needs to be thought of, you know? Yes. But yes. those people are rarely yes. in the room. How and do they miss out being in the room when decisions like that are being made? And they're the ones that have to count, you know, the, to actually carry it mm-hmm. out logistically. Mm-hmm. So. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and yet it's so believable. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we've seen it happen so many right. times. Okay. So um, the next step would be to affirm or reaffirm the guiding values and principles, which may feel redundant because mm-hmm. we've talked about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Why do you think this needs revisiting? After you've spent so much time on it. Yeah. Okay. So especially if you're going into an issue where you already know that there's controversy and polarity, you'll want to really reaffirm the values that you have around your commitment to one another in community. So you might even want to ask yourselves the question, what will we do? How far are we willing to go if we don't have unity? The question of unity is really important. How important is unity? Is is our decision based on, you know, a majority vote Mm -hmm. or do we want complete unity? What are we looking for here, and how far are we willing to go without unity? So that is, that is a pretty serious question right there yeah. for many groups. Yeah. And so to talk about that ahead of time, that we are not going to move forward on this without complete uni- unanimity. Okay, all right. Um, or we will go with a majority vote. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good to know. 
um, also when we know that people have vested interests on one side or the other um, to say we're going to be kind Mm-hmm. to one another in this conversation. We're going to be tender because we realize that the outcome of that is going to affect some people differently than others. Uh, if we know that people, for instance, in you know, in the controversy right now in the church around homosexuality and all of that, um, everybody, if you have a group of 10 people at your elder table, there's going to be somebody in that group who either has a son or a daughter or a friend or a parent or someone who's affected by that issue. It's really important at the beginning to say we're going to be, we are going to proceed with a great deal of care and tenderness, even if we are differing from one another. These are such tender issues. How can we be loving and kind to one another and really reaffirm mm-hmm. our commitment to that? Um, and even to say, we don't even know in this room who, who all is affected because given the current you know, environment and yeah. culture, there could be some people who haven't even told us mm-hmm. everything that's going on in their family life concerning this. So we need to be really careful, and we will be. Um, The value of confidentiality, for instance, to say now, say it's something that has to do with personnel, a hiring or a firing, Mm -hmm. to reiterate, this is a personnel issue, and we are required by law, not to mention our commitment to confidentiality, that we will will not speak of this outside this room. We really need to be reminded of that. So those are the general things. But I would also say that in some of these specific topics, you know, then we probably need to either reinforce some of the values that we already have, or there might even be additional values that we want to bring to bear on the conversation and even discuss, are we seeking complete unity here? If so, it might take a a little bit Mm -hmm. longer, but we're not going to move on this one without unity. It's an important question for a group. It is an important question. I totally agree. Uh, So after a spiritual community has gotten used to this step, preparing for the discernment process, how long does that usually take? Well, it can actually happen quite quickly when a group has become experienced because um, the question for clarify, I've seen us get better at this in the Transforming Center, is that we're able to clarify the question quicker. We're also able to recognize the question under the question quicker Quicker. and say, oh, that's our real question. Um, And then it's just a pretty natural process to talk about anything that's distinct in terms of our guiding values and principles that needs to be brought to bear on this particular subject or whatever. Um, so yeah, it you'll get to the point where it happens pretty quickly and the person who sets the agenda will also be the one to help make sure that these things get done um, fairly quickly, you know, um, and maybe even ahead of time before you actually start. And in the beginning, it occurs to me, just patience would be helpful. Yes, and if you stumble into th- conversations that you didn't expect to be in, like like the one about unity, that could take you, that could take you in a whole direction for a while, and particularly um, if you start to call into question at all your church polity. Yes. Around this. Yes. Um, then it could take you into some very big conversations, and and that's okay because those conversations will take you somewhere good in the end. And once you've had the conversation, then you've had it. And you'll always know how important is unanimity. Are we willing to just go with the majority vote? Um, how does this look? So, you know, we don't use the language of voting at all, even though we have to say we did. You know, like right in in you know in bylaws and things. We, there has to be a motion. And yeah. Somebody seconds the motion and all that. And sometimes we'll go through that. But the truth is, we've discerned it 
mm-hmm. and whatever we say that we're doing in terms of voting, what we're really saying and affirming is, you know, that we believe this is how God is inviting us to move forward. Yeah. And we, we, you know, later on we'll talk about the process of going around the room and seeing if seeing if people are sensing that we're being led by God in this way. It's very different than voting. Right. Deeper. It's way deeper way than deeper. voting. Yeah. Okay, Ruth, there's one thing I want to go back to, and that's really I want to talk more about circumcision. Good. <laughs> I was just waiting for you to ask. <laughs> no, you mentioned this actually beautiful story yeah. in Acts mm-hmm. 15 uh, where there was a major discernment mm-hmm. process. And I want so let's let's go back to that because yeah. I think that'll help us frame out this part of the conversation. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought us back to that because Acts 15 is one of the major places in Scripture where we see the early Christians practicing corporate leadership discernment, and 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 as you allude to, the, the issue was whether or not the Gentiles would need to be circumcised in order to become part of the community of faith, the new community of faith. And what's so interesting about that story is that. The Holy Spirit of God is doing something new in the New Testament church, and He's God is almost contradicting God's self in yeah. this story, because God was the one who put circumcision into place in the Old Testament, and now the Holy Spirit is leading them to consider whether or not that's even needed and necessary. So this is a knotty issue, K-N-O-T-T-Y. Yeah. This is a knotty issue for them, and it doesn't get much bigger than that, and yeah. we're having our own... You know, we're having our own conversations like that in the church today. Oh, yeah. Is God doing a new thing? Yes. And that's part of what we're trying to discern. So I find the story in Acts 15 to actually be quite hopeful. And it's certainly an issue of discernment because the question is, you know, what is this new thing? Is God doing something new? Or are we supposed to hold to what we've felt was true in the past? And it came that the discernment came, the need for discernment came because of something new that was happening in the church, which was that the Gentiles were speaking in tongues and giving evidence of the fact that the Holy Spirit was within them. So what do we do about these people who are not part of God's chosen people? Do we welcome them in? And so the disciples or the apostles knew that this was an issue for discernment and that they were not going to find the answer by just thinking about it. And I love that. And those are moments that are going to come to all of us as leaders, spiritual leaders, is that there's going to be moments where we're going to say, we are not going to to be able to know what to do here without entering into discernment. So they convene everyone, all sorts of people who have been involved, and people have been close to Gentiles as they have been experiencing conversion. They had um, experts in the law, mm-hmm. you know, to come and talk about what the meaning of Scripture actually was. They had Peter, who was really the anointed one, as it had to do with with the Gentiles. They had James, who clearly brought leadership and organization to the conversation, and the whole congregation was there too, and. Um, they entered into a process of trying to listen to what God was doing. Yeah. And that is the discernment question. We're seeing this stuff happen. Where is God in this? And how can we align ourselves with what God is doing? And that that's the discernment question. And how exciting to get to engage that question, mm-hmm. even though we might be afraid, even though we might know that we're on out on some sort of an edge, um, even though it pushes our categories and pushes things we believed. Um, to, to believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and active and doing something new among us, that's a very exciting place to be as yes. Christian leaders. And I hope we all get to be there sometime in our leadership. And that's a risky place. Mm-hmm. It uh, is. It, it takes fortitude for men and women that's who right. would like to lead in a discerning posture. Mm-hmm. Um, because if God is always at work, always making all things new, mm-hmm. 
God probably is doing some new things. Right, exactly. And it's also challenging for people who see themselves as being the defenders of the faith. Right. You know, there are those who sort of have that in their personality types, that it's my job to defend the faith and to make sure that we don't stray. Yeah. But what if God is doing something new? Yeah. And it's a challenge to be open to that and to recognize it. So... You know, we are we're we're out there. We're out there on the faith edge when we talk about discernment like this. Indeed. Do you have a prayer that you would like to end this episode with? Yes, and this one is the prayer we always and now I do mean always that we use in the Transforming Center when we are getting ready to enter into discernment. And we also pray this um, in all of our communities uh, throughout the two-year process as well, usually at midday. Oh, I love this prayer. O God, by whom we are guided in judgment and who raises up for us light in the darkness, grant us in all our doubts and uncertainties the grace to ask what you would have us to do, that your spirit of wisdom may save us from all false choices, and in your straight path we may not stumble. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We know there are thousands of podcasts to choose from, so we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. In July, the Transforming Center will launch their 15th Transforming Community. If God has stirred up something in you about your own leadership experience, maybe God is inviting you to begin a transforming leadership journey of your own. I joined Transforming Community number six way back in 2011, and it was such an important part of my spiritual journey. The Transforming Community Experience is designed to better integrate your faith and your leadership. The two-year experience of spiritual formation is designed for pastors, leaders, and influencers. It is grounded in scripture, animated by a Trinitarian approach to transformation in community, and it's informed by the richness and diversity of our Christian heritage. Also, if you've enjoyed the podcast, we would love to hear from you. Please leave a comment wherever you listen to the podcast and visit transformingcenter.org to learn more about how to apply for the next Transforming Community.